0: A reading from the first chapter of Ruth, beginning with verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chion, Chilon. They were Apathrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpa, and the name of the other Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughter in law, daughters in law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she, out, she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "'Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband.' Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband." Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See... Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Reading from the 12th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, beginning with verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and besides Him there is no other. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What would you think if I told you that you were about to hear the best sermon ever preached? Why y'all laughing? <laughs> Listen, that wasn't supposed to be funny. What, what, if I, what if I told you you were about to hear the best sermon I've ever preached? Or, yeah, or what if I told you that you're not? What if I told you that what this text really deserves is for me to say what he said and sit down? Isn't that what that's, isn't that kind of, I mean, really? The Son of the Living God just told us what the two greatest commandments are. What in the world can I add to that? This is a thing that I remember thinking about in seminary when they were teaching us to preach. And they told us to sit down with the Word and and to work through the Word and to struggle with it and hope that there might be some some word from God as the preaching professor. He says, he said, your people are going to come in and they're going to say, preacher, is there any word from God today? And you need to be able to say, yes, there is. And I remember thinking, but there's a, a whole book of word from God that really is better than anything I will ever say. But somewhere in the midst of it, We can't just hear what Jesus says and say what He said. We need to figure out what it means to our own heart. We need it to sink in. We need for it to come close to us. What we need is for the Word of God to affect us. Both the written Word and the living Word that we know as Jesus Christ. What we need is to hear the written Word and to have someone help us to see how the written Word points to the living Word so that we can then be vessels of the Word. And that's what following these commands will ultimately mean for us that we become vessels that go out into the community and carry carry this good word to someone else. All over our world, there are people who would love to know what they must do to please God. Commandments are often structured as ideas of what we must do. I'm sure you remember learning the Ten Commandments when you were a kid. I'm sure maybe your parents taught them to you. Maybe you've even read them in Deuteronomy and Exodus. A contemporary of Jesus, a fellow that was born about 20 years before he was, said that the first five of the commandments were about loving God, and the last five were about loving our neighbor. So this idea has been baked in to the law, since it was given. That the law teaches us how to love God and how to love our neighbor. And someone has come to Jesus and say, hey, which one of the 613 commandments that we count are the most important? And what he said is, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. And that's more important than any of the other ones that might upset us more when someone breaks them. More important than any of the rest. There was a rabbi named Hillel and someone came to him and asked him to teach him the entirety of the law while he stood on one foot. And what Rabbi Hillel said is that which is hateful for you, do not do to others. The rest is commentary. Jesus isn't creating something new that His own people didn't already know. He's just reminding them and us of what is first and foremost before us and how we are to be shaped as a people. But I was taught not to just say what he said and sit down. I was taught to get up and help y'all understand or help myself understand or say something inspiring so you would go out and post on Facebook what an awesome sermon I preached. And I love that. Right? I'm, I'm an affirmation junkie like everybody else. So I poked around in it a little while to say, Hey, what can I find that I can say that everybody will think I said something smart instead of just saying what he said? But I think what I should say is y'all go do what Jesus said. You hear what I'm saying to you? So I'm just kind of, I'm telling you not to listen to me, which is Weird. But whatever I say, I want you to put the most stock on the fact that Jesus gave these commands. Is that fair enough? That the Son of the living God thought that you would be most whole. That you would be most complete as a person if you loved God and loved your neighbor as you love yourself. Which means serving. And that's kind of where we're headed here. We're going to break down two words. The first is the word agape here. It's in the future tense in the Greek. It is a command, no doubt. But if it's in the future tense, it must also mean that somehow it's a promise. So when we read, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall love your neighbor. It might be helpful to us if we remember that in Romans 5, 5, the Apostle Paul said that the love of God would be shed abroad into our hearts. That God would pour God's own love into us. Do you hear that, church? Jesus isn't expecting you to do this out of the love that you have stuck inside yourself all on your own. Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit will come and fill His people with the love of God. And out of that love, out of that love, we love God and learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Not the love that the world has taught us, which is the kind of love that you expect to get something back, right? Or we use people for our own good. Everything that's done in the world that's evil is done because somebody loves something that they shouldn't love. Love is not God, but love serves God. And God is love. So that love is poured into our hearts for the purpose of being able to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves so that we can be whole and complete no matter what the world might bring against us. And the second thing I wanted to say is that agape is not self-serving love. It's the love of serving others. It's the love that was demonstrated on the cross for us when Christ died even for those who were God's enemies. That's what agape love looks like. It looks like the Son of the living God stretched out on a tree, nailed to a cross. That's the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. And we might say to ourselves then, well, I'm not just doing that for just anybody. <laughs> Remember Paul's wrestling Someone might possibly die for a really good man, but just not for just any person. But Jesus died even for the wicked, He said. But that agape love is what we're being called to show. It's what we're being commanded. It's what we're being promised will eventually show up in our lives. That future tense means that the more we follow Jesus, and the more the love of God is poured into our hearts, the more we will love God and love our neighbor. Now, Jesus isn't talking about the person that lives next door to you. That's where we get tripped up. We hear that word neighbor in a modern American context. He meant all of the people who lived all over top of each other the way they lived when, where they were. He meant anyone whom we might come in contact with. And as we know from his other comments in the Gospels, he even meant Our enemies which really just kind of sticks in your craw, doesn't it? So I got to thinking, and I picked up a sermon from John Wesley. It talks a little bit about uh, about your neighbor. He said, The second commandment is like unto this, the second great branch of Christian righteousness is closely and inseparably connected therewith, even thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love. Love shalt embrace with the most tender goodwill, the most earnest and cordial affection, the most inflamed desires of preventing or removing all evil and of procuring for Him every possible good. Thy neighbor, that is. Not only thy friend, thy kinsman, or thy acquaintance, not only the virtuous, the friendly, him that loves thee, that prevents or returns thy kindness, but every child of man, every human creature, every soul which God hath made, not accepting Him whom thou never hast seen in the flesh, whom thou knowest not either by face or name, not accepting Him who that knowest to be evil and unthankful, Him that still despitefully uses and persecutes you, him thou shalt love as thyself, with the same invariable thirst after, this, after his happiness in every kind, the same unwearied care to screen him from whatever might grieve or hurt either his soul or body. Well, that just stinks, doesn't it? There's no one we can exclude, he says. And then he has the gall to tie that to happiness. He says... But true religion, or a heart, listen to this, a heart right toward God and other people implies happiness as well as holiness. So instead of asking you, what would you think if I told you this wasn't going to be the best sermon you ever heard, what if I asked you, do you want to be happy? How would you respond to that? Anybody here like being miserable? Anybody? Y'all laughing. I'm telling you, some people like being miserable. Y'all don't mistake that. I ain't talking about any of y'all. You want to be happy? Then hear what Jesus said. Happiness comes when we love God and love our neighbor first. It doesn't come from the things we have. It doesn't come from the friends we have. It doesn't come from anything else. It comes from a life lived the way Jesus said we should live. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So again, I could have avoided saying all that and I could have just said what He said. Go do what He said but I think that it's good for you to know that you don't have to do this of your own strength. That the love of God is being poured into you as you follow Christ. So hope for that love to fill your whole spirit, your whole mind, your whole strength. Hope for that love to be your source of life. Hope for the very serving love of God to be the thing that drives you from under the bed covers every morning. For an opportunity to exercise that love and to help your neighbor have happiness. And what Wesley said is that along with happiness comes holiness. And holiness and happiness come together as we remember what Jesus said and as we hope that Jesus' is saying will be fulfilled in our lives. That we shall love God with our whole selves, and that we shall love our neighbor. And even more, that we shall love our neighbor as Jesus has loved us. This is our hope, church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.